Any questions this morning? Yes. Guruvach, you spoke yesterday evening very little about the last point, Lobha. What's that? Lolium. Lolium, yeah. Could you please speak a little bit more about that? In that context uh, of uh, Upadesh Amrita, as we were discussing, Lolium means greed, but it also means kind of a fickleness of mind. And it leads to the next actual positive ideas given in the next verse of Upadesh Amrita that are um, uncool or favorable, things that uh, are favorable and should be accepted because they are favorable in, to bhakti, the culture of bhakti. Fickleness mind to wander with um, interest in different uh, paths. This is one side of it, and the other side is more the literal translation of the term greediness. So greed is not um, favorable for bhakti, but at the same time, in commenting on that word in the text of Upadesha Amrita, I believe Taka Bhakti Yunod has... Um, also contrasted that lolium greed that is unfavorable for bhakti, which there he takes to mean any type of greed, with the greed for bhakti itself. Greed is, of course, unbecoming. And elsewhere, Rupa Goswami has explained this uh, term greed in terms of its being the qualification for treading the path of rag bhakti. Of course, shraddha, or faith, is what makes us eligible to tread the path in general, but when that faith is filled with greed, Bhakti Thakur has termed it in another text of his, lobamayi shraddha, or faith, shraddha, that is filled with lobha, greediness. As I say, greed is rather... Uh, unbecoming when we act in a greedy way and we, we feel embarrassed. We're led to do things that are embarrassing. And so the inhabitants of Vrindavan, they act with Bhagawan in a way that's unbecoming from the point of view of those who see him as God. You can't act with God like that. Mother Yasoda chasing him in the Damodar Leela and tying him up and his friends wrestling him to the ground and so forth, Radharani ignoring him, and uh, her handmaidens not allowing him into her quarters in the forest. To act like this with God seems rather unbecoming. It's embarrassing to those who think of him as such, as God. But, of course, in that realm, this um, sense of his Godhood is transcended and uh, or suppressed by the force of their love. So uh, the eagerness, the greed to be like that, to follow their lead, to develop that kind of bhakti. Rupa Goswami has called it lulyam, so faith that is filled with that, influenced by that. There will be obviously different degrees of that as there are different degrees of faith. So at any rate, Bhakti Thakur in his commentary on Upadesha Amrita, which we're discussing where this word comes up in a different way, referring basically to greed in general. 
and then, as I said, some fickleness of mind that causes us to flirt with other paths and so forth. He's contrasted that with greed in terms of its being a qualification for rag bhakti. As I said, the, the uh, idea of it being a kind of fickleness of mind as well, the uh, verse ends with that and leads into the next with a description of things that should be embraced that are favorable to bhakti, beginning with utsahan, 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 utsahan means enthusiasm. And it also speaks to us of attentiveness in practice. They say the one kind of leads to the other. Fickleness of mind is not favorable for bhakti. We should be one-minded in our practice. And um, on the other hand, enthusiasm or attentiveness in our practice. This is favorable for bhakti. Enthusiasm really can't accomplish much of anything in any sphere that we are engaged in unless we do it enthusiastically, which, as I say, implies paying attention. Rupa Goswami has mentioned this as the first among things that should be accepted as favorable for bhakti. And um, elsewhere it's also said that inattention then in bhakti, for example, in chanting, which is our main practices given by Mahaprabhu, is the cause of all, oh, gives rise to all offenses. And offenses to the name this is most detrimental to our practice. We might have material desires, and we do have material desires, and um, anarthas, unwanted things that are in the way and so forth of our progress. But it's one thing to have material desire, I want to say, another thing to, to make offense. It's kind of like the difference between a, a sin of the body or mind in the sin of the spirit. So, offense to the name, this is, should be very careful about this. And inattention gives rise to such. And attentive chanting effectively enables us to overcome all offenses. So it's important, this kind of uh, utsahan enthusiasm and uh, attentiveness in our practice. And in terms of attentiveness, it implies also, again, the antithesis here of fickleness of mind with uh, regard to flirting with different paths and so forth. It speaks to us about an idea that's, or something that we see is more common these days in the community at large of people involved in uh, Gaudiya Vaishnavism internationally, this importing of things into bhakti with a view to improve bhakti, which is really based on not being very attentive to what bhakti is all about, not studying it, not hearing carefully, and so forth. That's why it's important to really understand what is bhakti. I mean, we've got a whole bhakti, or Samrita Sindhu, it's a huge tome, large book explaining what bhakti is. We've got the Bhakti Sandarbha, for example, of Jiva Goswami, a large text. It's all just helping us understand what is the path that we are on. And without being well-informed, in this, either by studying such yourself or hearing attentively about it from those who have studied and understood, then we find much of this. So this is all pramada, inattentiveness, and 
it brings about a lack of enthusiasm for bhakti, some apathy, inattentiveness, and so on. And as I say, then, while in days gone by, persons might flirt with yoga or yoga marg or gyan marg or karma marg and mixed bhakti and the acharjas commenting on this verse or Rupa Goswami's um, intention in writing it, uh, whom it was directed to and so forth was... It was at a time in which Rupa Goswami was trying to really sort out what bhakti is in the milieu of all these other paths. Bhakti is the main thrust given in the scripture, but it's such a common sense approach and so down to earth that it's missed practically. It's not like big, have a lot of money and big sacrifices and get big results that you can hold up, show to people like you can in the karma marg. You got a son, you got a wife, you got a husband from this yogi or that one, big house or and the big show that's required looks like something's happening. Big fire, and so many people are invited, and mantras, and things are thrown in the fire. And even if nothing's happening, people think something must be happening. Okay. It's a big, big show like this on the one side, and then the Gyan Marg and Yoga Marg on the other side. It's a big show also, in the opposite, doing nothing. Oh, something must be going on. He's doing nothing. (laughs) He's doing nothing. Maybe he's not even breathing. Something must be going on there. Or, you know, twisting oneself in so many different postures and so forth. Something must be going on in there. So these things look overtly, uh, appear overtly to be such. And and bhakti is so much, uh, like I say, down to earth and common sense. and, And look at our ideal. The Brajbasins, the inhabitants of Vrindavan, Krishna's associates, what are they doing? Milking cows, cooking, eating, and just carrying on with their normal life. They're attached to their homes and their families and their place of residence, the nourishing hill of Govardhan and the cooling waters of the Jamuna, and they don't want to go anywhere else. They look very ordinary. When they asked Krishna, where they would go in their next life, he showed them Golok. They were in Gokul, which is the manifestation of Golok on earth. He showed them Golok, the divine expression, and they were doing the same thing, and they were happy, oh, we're going to go after our next life, we're going to be doing the same thing. So, it looks very ordinary. And, and bhakti is not really flashy. Again, we see many devotees suffer. The Pandavas, they suffered so much. The gopis, they suffered so much. In the absence of Krishna, the Pandavas were put through so many trials and tribulations and so forth. And they may be poor. The devotees may not get... Krishna may keep them from material wealth and prosperity and so forth. It's not very appealing on its face and it doesn't look overtly spiritual although it's the main thrust of the scripture again as I said before our lives are running materially on two tracks of knowing and owning of I and mine of renouncing and and enjoying and this bhakti is coming right in the middle and harmonizing these two tendencies and and, um, so it's uh, it's missed I've given an example before it's uh, just a kind of a common sense that's very uncommon. Uh, I've given the example of 
I should say, I've cited Pujapad Sridharmarsh, he gave the example of how when um, Alexander the Great conquered India, there was a knot, the Gordian knot. It was, uh, I guess, a big knot on a rope. I don't know the history of that well, but and it was said whoever could untie that knot would conquer India. You know the story? And um, so, so many people came and they tried to untie that knot. Big, strong, you know, kings and warriors and so forth, and they couldn't. And Alexander, if I recall correctly, was just a young man, and he came up and he said, oh, I think I can do it. And so they said, oh, and they laughed, and he went and tried. He pulled out his sword and cut the knot. People said, oh, I could have done that. But nobody thought of it, something like that. So he undid the knot. He used, like, common sense, which is rather uncommon. The other idea was that it said whoever could stand an egg on its end would sail the ocean successfully. Because at the time it was thought that if you sail the ocean, you never come back. The world is flat. You go off the edge in Europe. So whoever could stand an egg on its end would, would be successful in sailing the ocean. So many big sailors came and they tried to stand the egg on its end. No one was successful, and Columbus came and said, I can do it. He took the egg and went, you know, made a little dent in the end and then stood it up like that. So people said, oh, I could have done that, but nobody thought of it. So this bhakti's like this. It's full of common sense, but it's so simple that it's easily missed. And so people will be attracted to these other paths that are more overtly different and in which something really seems to be happening. After all, Mahaprabhu's ideal, and he's attached to bhakti, when he says, Mama Janmani Janmani Shwari Bhavatad Bhakti Rahaita Kitwai, I don't even want to get free from birth and death, I'll just stay right here and, and serve, that's all. I'm just attached to doing bhakti. So, doesn't want to change his position necessarily, and it can go anywhere. And, and uh, everybody's busy trying to go somewhere, trying to change their life and improve it, something like that. So it requires a fair amount of definition and explanation. And uh, and often uh, when people get involved, they'll gravitate towards towards gan or, or, or karma and so forth. And so this was in ta- days gone by, Rupa Goswami trying to sort out for us, Sanatana Goswami, and and so on, these great acharyas at the time of Mahaprabhu who were commissioned by Mahaprabhu to establish what is bhakti nana shastra vicharana kanipano sadharma samstapako lokanam hitakarano tribhuvane manyosharanyakara with a heart of compassion only, with nothing to gain for themselves. They went through and they researched the scriptures extensively and brought together all these statements. And if you study it, you think, wow, this is so obvious. This is what the scripture is really speaking about, about bhakti. But without them, hard to sort out. So much so that we often call their writings the bhakti shastra, the scriptures on bhakti themselves. They deal exclusively with that. But we see that they are made up of statements from so many other scriptures, the whole corpus of uh, sacred literature, and they've shown how it's all pointing in this direction, all saying this, such bhaktas, such devotees, such measure and depth were required. Um, 
to make such a statement, and no one, no one has made such a statement before. I mean, before them came Ramanuja and Madhva and so forth, and they were our greater charges. But the extent to which the Goswamis have done this and taken us to the extreme of bhakti in doing so, the bhakti of Vrindavan, this kind of bhakti, this is uh, extraordinary what they've done and and required. So at the time, then these other paths were more prominent or some bhakti mixed with yoga, gyan, karma and not leading to the ideal of bhakti, not bhakti for its own sake and or bhakti for praying and, and so forth. So they d- detected that there was a this kind of type of deficiency in people potentially, a fickleness of mind and, and what they would call you know, a lack of enthusiasm. So Rupa Goswami called for enthusiastic and attentive, as it implies, execution of bhakti. This is required, this is necessary in order to progress. This will cause your bhakti to flourish. Now in the modern times, of course, then here we are, we hear about bhakti, maybe it's the first really transcendental path that you've heard about and you encountered and and, uh, in terms of a, a... comprehensive explanation and a systematic approach to to, uh, transcendence and enlightenment and so forth. And you're not in the midst of, uh, well, the influence of karma, yoga, these other paths, to to that extent perhaps they're not. There are other things out and about nowadays, is is my point. And we see that this this goes on. People missing, they're not attentive to what bhakti is. And so they seek to enhance bhakti by incorporating in this, that, or the other thing from different um, ideas that are out and about, about how to progress and improve your life. You know, somebody asked me the other day with, uh, how to, to, to chant attentively. What, they were recommending something, something from somewhere else about how to, how to pay attention or something like that. And re- really, this was an example of what Rupa Goswami is talking about, kind of a fickleness of a mind or lack of enthusiasm or attentiveness to what bhakti is. Here's bhakti, for example. You want to pay attention, then you, if your heart is captured, then your mind goes automatically. You hear about Krishna, how charming he is, and you, your heart becomes captured. So your mind goes there automatically. So you don't have to separately endeavor to control your mind in some way, but you have to hear about Krishna sufficiently. That's the idea. What fosters chanting and attentive chanting? Hearing attentively about Krishna. So if you wonder why my mind is wandering, then your, your diet of hearing has to be increased. You have to hear more. And you shouldn't be fickle and hear other things. It's not, if you do, well then, if you go listen to too much music or movies, then that'll be what goes on in your head when you're chanting. <laughs> it's very practical. So, kind of exclusiveness. Utsahan nischayad. Nischayad means like um, steadiness. It means um, confidence. Confidence in the teachings of the scripture. A kind of confidence in the explanations of the guru that are based on scripture. Confidence of success, it means kind of a firmness of faith. This is the second thing that Rupa Goswami mentions amongst things favorable to accept. There are many, but he mentions a few. Utsahan, Mishchayad, Dharyat, 
enthusiasm, confidence, and patience at the same time. It's a fine combination to be enthusiastic, a kind of confidence that I will be successful based on the example of previous charges and the statements of Scripture, for that matter, that you will be successful. And then to combine it with patience, he says, this is required. Patience means that the result may not be forthcoming for some time, but he or she doesn't go away. If you Again, it's, it really requires knowing what you're involved in here and, and what you have been involved in, by contrast, material life, and then to be emptied out, to be unplugged from that is half the equation, and to be plugged in, really, and the light go on positively uh, in relation to uh, now love, emotion, feeling for Krishna. This is uh, you know, going to take some time. And the kind of bhakti that Rupa Goswami is talking about here when he says nischayad, utsaya nischayad, is, is really kind of a, a nishtita bhakti or bhakti that's really pretty well informed. And as I say, it's attentive. It's uh, then it's, Therefore, there's confidence and, and there's the patience. It's hard to be patient, but if you know you're confident something's coming. You can see like just around the corner and just over the hill and you can be patient, right? When you're climbing up on this side of the mountain, it's hard. (laughs) But when you get to the top and you peek over, oh, you're almost at the top and then it's all downhill, then you can have the kind of patience that's necessary to go the distance. So he's really talking about um, our spiritual practice, Bhajana Kriya, that is consistent rather than inconsistent and stopping and going starting and stopping starting and stopping false kind of enthusiasm when you think I'm really advanced I, I just know so many things I know more than him I know more than him this is also not good or this kind of flickering of the mind back and forth that I think I'll become a sannyasi. No, I better stay as a householder. I think I'll live it out there. You know, I better stay at home. No, no. I think I'll go there. And back and forth like this, and just wasting mental mental energy. Also, this capacity to be enthusiastic. In one place, Vishwanath Chakravarti Thakur in his Gita commentary has mentioned that lack of eligibility or qualification for something is the cause of the loss of one's enthusiasm. Interesting comment. So the point being that we should be engaged in bhakti in ways that are appropriate or in accordance with the extent to which we're eligible to tread the path. At different stages, different things will be incorporated in the path. And our enthusiasm to tread the path will be somewhat dependent upon our being engaged in a way that corresponds with the level of our adhikar or our eligibility. Just like you've come here and it's the first time you maybe come to a session like this. And so if I talk in a high way about things that you're unfamiliar with, your enthusiasm will be not as apparent as if I talk about something that really you can understand, that pertains to you, and it's on your level. Of course, I have to talk in such a way that that everybody gets something out of it. So, <laughs> you understand? So this is a very practical point, that when we're engaged according to the level of our eligibility and qualification, then we can show true enthusiasm, or there's good potential for that. So at any rate, here we are. 
talking about these things. Utsahan nischaya darya. Darya means patience, so patience is required. I mean, there's a story once of how some of uh, the uh, disciples of Bhakti Siddhanta Saraswati Thakur came to him and they had a question. I've told this story before, but they had a question, but they were afraid to ask it. And so he said, I see you have something on your mind. Come on, come out with it. What is it? And they said, well, Guru Marsh, we've been doing this for 10 years now. We've been practicing this. And you're talking about all these high ideals and so forth, but we find that after 10 years, 10 years of practice, that all these high things are not coming within us. We're not realizing them. So we have a doubt. And he said, oh, well, I'm glad to hear it. If you had come and said that we've been practicing 10 years and all these high things are coming within us, he said, then I would have had a doubt about you. It's not such a cheap thing. It may take some time. And we should be in for the long haul, something like that. In one sense, we may become enthusiastic to hear we can go quickly. And sometimes someone may speak along those lines to attract our attention. But another point, if we are really committed and in for the long haul, we can hear it might take some time. And that won't, we won't run away upon hearing that. It might take some time. <laughs> of course, we're used to wanting things now, even if we don't have the bank balance to pay for it. We can have, put it on the card and have it now, but uh, Krishna consciousness is not like that. Patience, enthusiasm, confidence is a fine combination. There's a story of Mukunda, worth repeating, one of Mahaprabhu's associates, who did something and Mahaprabhu said, I don't want to have his company anymore. He was... Uh, perhaps associating with some other other sect out of curiosity, something like that. So Mahaprabhu banned him from his company. And then um, the devotees, out of compassion for him and his empathy for his plight, they went to see him. And he asked them to ask Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, when again will I get your association? That's all I want to know. So they went and uh, they told Mahaprabhu they had seen Mukunda. And he said, what did he say? And he said, oh, he wants to know, only, only wants, his only concern is when he will again get your association. And Mahaprabhu said, tell him not for a million lifetimes. And so they were shocked to hear this, and then they went back, and then they had to tell it to him. He said, what did he say? What did Mahaprabhu say? And they said, well, he, he said not for a million lifetimes. And Mukunda began to dance and chant and sing, and his heart leaped and... And they said, well, how could you feel so happy? <laughs> we just, did you hear what we said? It's a million lifetimes. He said, I will get, I will get, that's all. I know that I will get it. What is a million lifetimes? There's nothing, nothing. So when they returned to Mahaprabhu, Mahaprabhu said, what did he say? And they said, he began to dance and chant and sing, I will get, I will get. And Mahaprabhu said, bring him here immediately. <laughs> See, so this kind of patience. And the sense that comes from attentiveness, enthusiastic practice, or the value of what it is that we're involved in. Again, it's a very common sense thing. It's very down to earth, and it, 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 sometimes it's right in front of you, and you don't you, you don't see it, and you don't see the value of it. Other things are speaking more loudly to us due to our sensual, mental, intellectual orientation as being more important, and so forth. So the, 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 it's the required good association and hearing to appreciate the value of this. You know, pursue it with our all in all, give all attention, all enthusiasm. It's, it's required. It's a great, great, greatest opportunity. And we repeatedly you know, make the statements and repeat the statements of the charges, comparing it with 
fruit of gain and uh, emancipation and so forth, which pale in comparison. But these are not just words. This is a fact. And they were to speak then uh, the particular type of bhakti that Mahaprabhu was coming to give. It's, if you understand it, then you just faint thinking, I'm on that path. I could be in touch with that. Oh, I have some connection with that. Oh, my fortune is extraordinary. So this sense... We have to cultivate that sense, and we'll certainly pay attention, and we'll have confidence. After all, what is the confidence? The confidence is based on an understanding of the magnanimity and the merciful nature of Krishna and Sri Krishna Chaitanya. It's an understanding of our hope, our own individual hopelessness. We are not only defective by way of our material conditioning, but in terms of our our spiritual reality, we're a soul that has no prospect for that without a gracious grant from the other side. Up to Brahmananda, Brahmagyan, we may realize without that, a type of enduring and abstractly speaking blissful existence, but with the ingress of Sarup Shakti then, Sandini, Sambit, Ladini, that kind of existence, that kind of knowing, that kind of happiness, that kind of joy that constitutes bhakti, bhakti proper. So, hopeless is our reality, but we have hope nonetheless. So, uh, hope beyond hope, it's one of the ashabandhu characteristics of bhava bhakti. It means that realizing I have no hope, I get hope, because I have no hope, but he is the way he is. Krishna is, I have some sense of what Krishna is like, so I have hope. He's affectionate. He's merciful. Gurudev is merciful and concerned about me, paying attention. I have hope not in myself, in my own resources and so forth, but in the nature of my ideal. So these things are important. And without this kind of focus, which all is coming as our bhajan, our bhajan life, our practicing life becomes, to the extent that we embrace these ideas, then our life, bhajan life, our practicing life is, is coming in the direction of nishta, from anishta, from unsteady practice to steady practice. And the principal impediments are being removed. And in that stage, all these things are fully manifest. Utsahana, nischaya, darjat, enthusiasm, confidence, patience, all together. And one has the wherewithal to go on. There's no, you know, there's no distraction. He or she has a real sense of what this is about. And they're not going anywhere, not budging from this path. No, and there's no need to incorporate, bring anything else in. It's uh, to enhance it. It's, it's a folly that you will enhance Bhakti. It is a so comprehensive path. So, nothing less than bhakti can enhance bhakti. Only bhakti can give bhakti. And you can see this now. This is difficult for people to get. Only bhakti can give bhakti. It's a simple statement, but what does it mean? People are in modern day incorporating so many things into their bhakti to improve it. This is all just based on. Anishta bhajan, hmm? inattentive bhajan, lack of enthusiasm, lack of attentiveness, and 
and so there's lack of confidence, lack of patience, and so forth. Then what does he go on to say? So hearing and chanting, embrace this life of of proper. It's kind of the second half is kind of about proper conduct, and this is the main idea: hearing and chanting. You want to talk about the rules and regulations of bhakti. That's what it means. Accepting the rules of bhakti, and what is the example of the rules? Hearing and chanting. These are the rules, Navalakshan Bhakti. These are pretty much the rules of Bhakti, hearing and chanting. There are other details, but they can be altered and so forth. And then um, Sangatyagat Satovrta, he says, following the, the example of other acharyas, and to emphasize that, he says, Sangatyagat is kind of an overlap from Janasanga in the previous verse, giving up worldly associations. Sangatyagat Satovrta. Following the lifestyle of the previous charges, which includes Shangatyagat, giving up association of people and ideals, role models, other role models, replacing our present role models with new ones, like Rupa Goswami and something like that, uh, <laughs> Sanatana Goswami. The previous acharyas, the current acharyas, these are the role models. So many role models are there in the Bhagavatam. We have other role models in our lives who have <laughs> influenced us and replacing them. And especially, and also in giving up association of others, and mayabadis and yogis and jnanis and karmis and such people, keeping good association, follow the path of the saints. And saints here means... Vaishnavas. So these things Rupa Goswami is mentioned in, in one verse. So we talked a little bit about it. Uh, more questions? You can ask about anything. Yeah. Is there any water? Yeah. You said that uh, the root of all defense um, is inattentive chanting, right? Hmm. But well, would it be then better to, in the beginning, not to chant at all and just do something practical? It kind of sounds like that. Well, that's how it, in one sense it begins. Before chanting, somebody does something. Agata Sukriti, Agata Sukriti. Basically, we encourage to try chanting. And then there are many other activities, too, that um, help us to develop an attitude. Just practical activities of serving help us develop the right attitude with which to approach the chanting. So we do emphasize that, developing the service ego so to speak. But some chanting should be there. You serve and then sit and chant, and then if you're not very enthusiastic, get up and serve some more. <laughs> Something like that. It's also said, though, the only way to overcome offensive chanting is to continually chant. Right. <laughs> so you have to start somewhere. Something like that. But uh, japa, then will be, you know, to chant on beads and meditative fashion so forth they'll be more difficult and require more attention in order to be effective than kirtan. Often people begin with kirtan. Like at Chichitana Saraswatbat, newcomers are invited to participate in kirtan and they hear the lectures and so forth before they're given any beads to chant on. And they're only given beads to chant on at the time of initiation when it's I imagine it's considered that well, at least it used to be under the... You know, when I was familiar with uh, Sridhar Marsh's policies, after they had 
come to a certain level of attainment and so forth, then be given the beads to chant and follow the Guru's instructions for bhajan and so forth. But kirtan, everyone is invited to participate in. So it's easier. You don't have to be attentive in kirtan and you can still get benefit. But in meditation, how can you get benefit if you don't pay attention? The two are like opposites. <laughs> right? And real meditation comes after constant withdrawal of the senses and mind from other thoughts and concentration, dharana, what is it? Pratyahar, dharana, dhyan. Then comes meditation, dhyan. So the kirtan is very generous. So we should have... If you're sitting and chanting and you can't pay attention, then you can clap your hands and chant out loud. Then people pay attention to you. Why are you doing that? <laughs> they, it's good. Gurudev said like this. Then they'll sit down with you also. Spontaneous kirtan is good. It should be like that, but we only do it certain times. We're supposed to do it. <laughs> what else? Yes? Why there is so, so many ununderstanding of bhakti? Why? Why there is so... Misunderstanding? Misunderstanding of bhakti. I'm on this path for many years, and just right now I'm just figuring out what, what bhakti is about. And it's, it's our natural position. So, so why so many misunderstanding about bhakti in the world? Well, you know, it's, it's our natural position means that it's the position in which we will be most at home. But we've been living in a foreign land for a long time, so we've developed some habits. And um, it's just like if you live in jail for a long time and then they let you out, you feel a little uncomfortable, even though the whole time in jail you just wanted to get out. Then when you get out, you feel a little awkward and it takes time to acclimate, acclimate even though it's your, your natural position so to speak, as you put it. So you've been a long time conditioned in another way since time without beginning. So now you say you've been involved for a long time, but how long have you been in the material world? Of course, that's a big question for you. But um, the answer, of course, in general is long, 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 long time, much longer than a few years that you've been involved in bhakti. So if you really look at the big picture, You've been involved for a real short time compared to what you have been involved in previously for such a long time. So then it was seemed to make a little more sense why it takes a little time to figure it out. And of course, also, you require a good teacher to understand it, right? And all teachers may not be that good. And some people may misrepresent bhakti, right? So we may be in touch with that. And therefore, it takes some time. That's mainly why I ask about that so many teachers that misunderstood bhakti and teach bhakti. Yeah. Why not? Why would, you know, I mean, why would you expect otherwise? That happens in all fields of life. There are all kinds of people who have, I mean, there's a, whether it's good or not, I'm just giving an example. There's the, in the United States, we have something called the AMA. It's American Medical Association. It's always looking for quacks and fake doctors and so forth. I mean, it's a big corporate affair, that's another thing. But so in medicine, there are all types of people who aren't qualified that try to teach. And so so in all spheres of life, you may find that it's common. 
and it's not particular only to the times in which we live. Even shortly after the time of Chaitanya Mahaprabhu, then so many misunderstandings of bhakti were there, and so many schools uh, that uh, thought themselves to represent Chaitanya Mahaprabhu and his pure bhakti, they developed only to be exposed centuries later by someone like Thakur Bhakti Vinod as being misrepresentative of Chaitanya Bhakti and so forth. So it's not particular to today. It's been uh, whenever, with anything, I think, there's going to be a misrepresentation, potential for misrepresentation in any field. So, and it's like you say, it's, it's, it's a big topic, so it's, it takes time to understand. So people think they understand it, and then they, there is that thing, as we mentioned, Utsadmai, false enthusiasm. It's a stage within Anishta Bhajana Kriya. So someone was on the, got on the Tattva Vivek, our forum, and he said, I love Krishna. I think about Krishna day and night. I'm in love with Krishna so much, I'm so glad to be on this forum. And by the way, I think my name should be such and such, and uh, I don't even know if I need to be initiated, as a matter of fact, but I thought I'd ask. So, this kind of thing is utsaha <laughs> mai. This is kind of a false uh, enthusiasm. And so, on a, it may appear on a more sophisticated level also. And some of them may think they're finished, graduated student and qualified to teach, and they may not be. And then they may get some students nonetheless. And later on, it becomes a problem. And I think, you know, it would be a little idealistic to think we're in a world of falsity. And to, you know, obviously you don't belong here because you have the different ideals. You think, why should it be like this? It shouldn't be like this. You're right, it shouldn't be like this. But it is. That's why we're trying to go to the other side. It's not... A friendly place, it's full of cheating and misrepresentation, and that's what it is. Hmm? That's just the nature of the beast, so to speak. It's uh, something to deal with. You know, there's a positive way to look at that, too, of course. And these things come to test us and help us. And we have to go through and sort that out. And um, and what was the misrepresentation of bhakti? And, grow, and are you still interested? And, and so forth. So these things can come. And we can see them in a positive light. It can be there to sort out people who aren't really enthusiastic, who don't have any patience or any... And, and people come and some misrepresentation and they go away. And they say, oh, forget that. That's, that's useless. Some people come and they meet with misrepresentation, but they look through it to find real representation and they go on. And this, is, this kind of character is required for making progress. Well, you know, God's ways are not easy to understand always. You had a question? Yeah. Uh, yesterday you were talking about Prabhupada and his uh, human side and his charm and so mention it a bit. Mm-hmm. Um, and it got me thinking about when I started to read about Prabhupada and Krishna consciousness and that I never really encountered that side of Prabhupada from the devotees and his books or anything like that from his Lilamrita. But before I met you and you, how you represent Prabhupada, it was like that that part of Prabhupada like was kind of now there's been a couple of books by Mula Prakriti and the book you mentioned that mm-hmm. brings that side of Prabhupada up. 
So I was wondering, why was it like left out from the history, so to speak, until today? More. Well, Lord was like this big, big Acharya, he was, but uh, the humans I never like took any room. Why? Yeah. It's based on a Kanishta Adhikari conception of Guru or a, or a very neophyte conception of Guru in which sometimes is characterized by the idea Amar Guru Jagat Guru. My Guru is the biggest Guru. My Guru is the Guru of the whole world. And everyone should think my Guru is the best. They'll think the best for me. And they'll also think the best for everybody else for the most part too, but not in the way that they... But but when others don't feel that way, then they will feel that much more fortunate. Well, too bad for him, <laughs> too bad for her, or something like that. But they don't feel who's mature in their feeling like this. Doesn't feel the necessity to go and intimidate other people and make them. They have to think like this. They just feel, well, we got something good, and we're lucky. And they they had they're blind. They couldn't see. Too bad for them. Small's beautiful. We'll keep a smaller group, something like that. They feel like that. But other people who don't have a mature understanding, they think, my guru is the best guru, my guru is the only guru, my guru is the only real bona fide guru, my guru has to be bigger than everybody else in order, this is the weak faith, in order for my faith to be strong. So this strong tendency... We saw this in many of Prabhupada's disciples, especially when they entered into a into a time when there was more than one guru in the picture. When Prabhupada was the only guru they knew, then they thought like this. So when someone else came into the picture, for example, Pujapada Sridharmarsh, that it became a problem for them. And if they would hear something, I'll give you an example too. A godbrother of mine was listening to my lectures. And he was becoming very attracted to listening to my lectures. And he told us to Agnidev. Agnidev is a godbrother of mine. He has a Gobinda's restaurant. So this fellow was listening and listening, and he was getting more and more CDs. And then he said, I can't listen to these anymore. And Agni said, Well, why, why not? He says, because I'm finding them more interesting than Prabhupada's lectures. <laughs> and that can't be. Say, you know, I'm not saying that, you know, I'm just telling you what he said. I'm finding them more, and uh, this is a problem here. You know, Prabhupada's Prabhupada, you know, that's just Stripperari, Marge, you know. So he was having a problem with it. He couldn't, like, harmonize it or put it in perspective and so forth and see, you know, how Prabhupada's lectures were focused at a certain time and place and and so on. This was progressive and what I was speaking and you know, all of it's the power for that's all derived from his grace and, and so on and so forth. So so he stopped listening to my lectures. <laughs> so you know they have a sense that that they their their guru is the best and if if there's someone else that's powerful and influential, even if it's positive, it, it creates some doubt in them. And so that they have to, in an artificial way, they start to have to try to make Prabhupada the biggest thing on earth. And the sentiment's good, but it's, it turns out to be a, 
distortion and and, and this has been going on for a long time this with a lot of these people have been doing this god brothers and god sisters of mine it's a real i tell you it's uh it's a real problem it's a huge problem it's so disheartening to me what they've done because the the effect is the opposite really of what they want to create they want everybody to love Prabhupada, and so they want to say he's great. That for every comma, every word, every misspelled word, you know, they want to change the dictionary around. The dictionary's wrong. Prabhupada said it like this, spelled it like this. It's right. It just becomes an embarrassment after a certain point. Each acharya has his place in time, and each acharya is eternal. In other words, their teachings are eternal. That nonetheless they will excel at a certain time and place where they're focused and directed. Like you take the books of Bhakti Siddhanta Sarasati Thakur, and then you take the books of Prabhupada, and you go back and you look at Bhakti Siddhanta's books, and it's they're hard to read, and the English isn't that good actually. That's there's a fair amount of redundancy from progressive English point of view and so forth, and so. His students, Prabhupada's students, much more readily liked Prabhupada's books and could understand and get more from it and so forth. So, Bhakti Siddhanta Sarsitak was, okay, retired now, retired. Someone else is there to take the lead. It's not that he becomes ir- irrelevant, but... So Prabhupada is also, you know, retired. And so the parampara must go on. Somebody else must has to take the lead there. Maybe a number of people, but anyway, they're progressive and in the forefront and speaking according to the time and circumstance and so forth. And then when you, you you try to exclude that or minimize that in the name of making Prabhupada everything and the best and he has to be and and then you then you you know, I know a fellow who said Prabhupada said his books would be the longest for the next ten thousand years. This is the most important statement that Prabhupada made in all of his books, this fellow told me. You should know this is the most important statement that Prabhupada made. I said, Well, you can't even find it anywhere. <laughs> How about that? You know, they recorded practically everything he said, even in his sleep, and you can't find it. So, how important is it? <laughs> you tell me it's the most important thing. We don't even know who said it. And you're repeating it to, you know, until you're blue in the face. And, and what's your interpretation of it? That then you have to try to make books and talks and so forth, which are really pertinent. At, at a particular time and circumstance, really, you know, the environment, what's going on in a room at the time, and who's there, and so all this has something to do with what comes out. And you were there, and wow, that was so great. And then, and then, so you want to like convince everybody else, but they're not in the room at the time. It's thirty years later, and uh, it just doesn't kind of measure up exactly the same way as it did for you at that time and it was what was you were supposed to hear what was supposed to be said and and so forth but because they don't have a mature understanding they try to make it such it's and then people look at it and they just and then they go they're told like this this is like for 10,000 years with these books this is this is the moment you know so they look at them like that and it just doesn't work for them exactly the same way and they go into denial about it, and or they just they have a different opinion. They they, they don't they leave it, and it, it it comes 
it ends up, you're trying to make a person, Prabhupada in this instance, more than what he was. It's really awkward to have to say such a thing, but that's what they force you to say, unfortunately, by the way they've gone about this. He's everything, but then again, he has a contribution to make in history of an ongoing lineage of disseminating, explaining Gaudiya Vaishnavism. And when you try to stop it right here, then it becomes counterproductive. And um, and so, you know, they get the opposite results, ultimately. Give it more time, they get the opposite result. It's already happening, unfortunately. So it's really, um, I really take exception to it. They create an artificial Prabhupada. It's not what Prabhupada was. It's an artificial idea. It's a, it's a weakness of faith that they have that projects this uh, figure out there. It's just not Prabhupada. It's, and it's all Aishvarya and, and he's heavy and you know whatever you know, and that's the way it is and it's the only way and. If you don't do it like that, you're going to one of those hells we talked about the, the other day, and this, this kind of thing. It's it's very much like that, and and now the the and then then even if you bring up instances of Prabhupada's humanity, his charm, and uh, and so forth, then they like it, but then their purport on it is is all like really strange. Prabhupada was pretending, you know, to be, you know, to have forgotten this. And he was just testing me, and you know, and it's like, you know, just take it for what it is, you know. It's charming, <laughs> and and, and, and um, so it's I, I, even in that book that I mentioned. That, that's just like the story's great, and then there's a little commentary, and it's just like, what? How did he come up with that? You know, and, and then it's pervaded by um, this like. This fellow's like, unfortunately, a little neurotic. Like, he had a, had a thought, he made a mistake. He turns it, he calls it a huge offense to the pure devotee, and probably just like, don't do it like that. Do it like this, you know. Why do you do it like that? You, know, you fool! Don't do it like that. Well, I made a. I know. It's really neurotic, and it's odd. And uh, this is this huge, like, backdrop of Aishwarya that they felt a necessity to make, you know, to, to put up there, because their faith is weak. Faith is weak. And, as I say, especially in the face of anyone else. And so then they're out there. Other, other acharyas are making wonderful contributions to the community. Commentaries, books, insights, and so forth. You know, maybe a number of them. And then there are these people in this well, here we are in the middle of this, but I hate to go be so specific, but they're in the, in the group of, you know, Prabhupada's official organization and so forth. They're trying to make Prabhupada the 10,000 years and he's the greatest and everything. Here's the hub around every, which everything orbits and in Gaudiya Vaishnavism now and so forth. And, so, and they end up taking all these insights from outside and denying the fact that they got them from there and then trying to explain how, see, this is what Prabhupada really means in his book here. He's saying this. We don't have to go anywhere else. It's like ridiculous. You know, they went over there and they got... The... It's uh, it's pathetic. It's dishonest. Yeah, I'm not to be honest with you. It's just dishonest, disingenuous, and uh, hypocritical. And um, 
all I can say, you ask, what's, why is this? And I answer, it's, it's weak faith. That's what it is. It's just weak faith. It's, it's really a very Kanishtadikari orientation, conception of Guru Tattva. And again, if any of the progressive leaders in that group have got with ideas and concepts of Gaudiya Vaishnavism drawn so much from elsewhere, then deny it, hide it. Some fellow I saw a book, he wrote a whole series of books about Krishna, Leela, and 99% of the information he got was not from Prabhupada's books. Then he wrote a big book like this to explain all his books about Krishna Leela, why they're, you know, everything's in Prabhupada's books and no one should has to go anywhere else. And it's like, what is he talking about? And every bit, 99% of the information comes from, was not from Prabhupada's books. He was a self-appointed person to tell everybody, you know, there's all these books in the market and you have to be careful about them. You should only read Prabhupada's books. And it's like ridiculous. It's, you know, you ask the question, it's just like, it's Maya, you know, it doesn't make any sense. It's just like <laughs> illusion. You want to make sense out of it, don't try. It's not rational. And it's not spiritual either. It's a huge mess. You know, it's a particularly sore spot for me, to be honest with you. I'm speaking about it in a light way, but it's, you know, how would you like it if your guru was misrepresented in such a way? If you knew what he was really like and people were painting some very different picture and marketing that and so forth. It's not very, not good. <laughs> what else? Yes. I just want to ask, what is your final goal? Do you want, you know, repair this misunderstanding uh, in the world, in different Vaishnava communities, or just want to lead a small group of devotees? <laughs> uh, I'll just lead a small group of devotees. That'd be good. <laughs> yeah, I'm conflicted over it. Conflicted. I mean, if you get me thinking about correcting the whole situation, I have many ideas and so many things to offer and so forth. And then I'll get all excited about it and I'll have it all figured out. Then I realize that there's no ear for it whatsoever. And I think, oh, I just wasted my time <laughs> getting excited about correcting and so forth. Just stay with a small group of people who can hear it. And, and then I'll, you know, something else will happen and I'll sometimes drift in that direction. If I get in proximity of it, then I think of so many good things that could be offered and said and so forth. So, anyway, short talk. What's the time now? 11.30. Okay, so we'll stop there. Shiva Prabhupada ki jai. Bhagavad Pramanam. Haribo.